0: As chaos theorist Ian Malcolm in Jurassic Park, Jeff Goldblum, troubled by the fact that he's watching dinosaurs hatch in the lab, makes an observation. He says, your scientists were so preoccupied with whether they could that they didn't stop to think whether they should. It's a great quote and an even greater observation. This is the third podcast in a series of three about one of the technology ecosystems that's profoundly changing the world. In our first episode of the series, we talked about those technologies that sort of live in this ecosystem, the internet of things, big data, analytics, cloud, and machine-to-machine communications. In the second episode, we looked at one application of this ecosystem that is truly planet-changing, the protection of fresh water. In this third and final episode, we're gonna talk with a few people who have deep insights into the advantages and challenges that new technologies bring to the table. Jeff Goldblum, or Ian Malcolm to be accurate, has a point of sorts. Just because you can make dinosaurs doesn't mean that you should, and we know that they shouldn't have because there are at least four sequels to the original movie that I know about and none of them end well for the humans involved. But the truth is, technologies, even controversial ones, can create challenges, but they can also lead to incalculable advances in the world as we know it. Vaccines, for example, have essentially eliminated diseases that, before they came along, killed millions of people. Scientific experimentation, driven by curiosity, has led to all kinds of unexpected but supremely valuable outcomes, including the microwave oven, Post-it notes, Play-Doh, the Slinky, Coca-Cola, the Pacemaker, and Silly Putty, just to name a few. Those were all accidents and the results of unbridled curiosity. As you know, the message I try to convey in this podcast is that curiosity moves the world forward in profound ways, and the more we explore the what-ifs out there, the better off that we will be as a society, as a species, as a people. One of the workshops I teach is called Reverse Engineering the Future. It's a scenario planning tool for leaders who are trying to move their organizations forward and aren't sure where to start, or who are bumping up against too many resistive forces to make much headway. Traditional scenario planning tends to start in the present and then extrapolate out into the future. The problem with that model is that as soon as leaders have a sense of where they want to go and they head down the road, they run into that famous, well, that's nice, but you see, that's not how we do things around here, and everything grinds to a halt. With reverse engineering the future, we avoid that problem by starting in the future, and then reverse engineering backward to the present, identifying and dealing with all of the barriers and obstacles and naysayers before they become a problem. One of the exercises I put people through in the workshop is kind of fun. In fact, you should try it in your next meeting at work. Tell people that the phrase, yeah, but, is not allowed in the meeting. Instead, they should use the phrase, yes, and. It drives them nuts, but it's really effective. It puts the conversation on a positive, forward-looking and forward-moving footing. And one more thing, because constructive criticism is so hard to give, and frankly often isn't taken very well, try this. When someone wants to provide feedback to another person's idea or presentation or innovation or concept, tell them to use this structure. Hey, here's what I really liked about your concept. And then you tell them. And by the way, here's an idea to make it better. Very constructive. Works every time. Give it a try. Here's the reality. There are always concerns about new technologies when they arrive on the scene, often because of worries about job displacement or fears over the potential for loss of privacy or security. Usually, though, new technologies do the opposite. As we heard in an earlier episode, Kim and Phil Asmanson aren't using technology at their vineyard to replace their farm
1: workers. They're using it to empower them. I read somewhere or somebody told me the other day that um, something like 65 percent of children entering primary school today will ultimately end up working in a job that doesn't even exist currently.
0: That's Paul McDonough-Smith, a good friend of mine and a colleague who researches and develops technology programs for MIT's Sloan School of Management. I caught up with him at his home in the UK.
1: You know, on on one level, that's Quite startling, I suppose. And and I guess we'll have to wait to about 2030 to see if it's true. But one thing I think we can say for certain is that the tasks within jobs will change. And, you know, therefore, the jobs themselves we can expect to, to evolve.
0: When the sensors and analytics of the Internet of Things are deployed in a chemical plant or a refinery or an industrial facility, they don't eliminate jobs. They make those jobs safer and they deliver richer information about the business to management and leadership. Technology is a tool, and when the right tool is wielded in the right way, good things happen. And I'm pretty sure a mechanic would prefer a socket wrench over a rock. I'm also pretty sure that most doctors would have little use for that socket wrench in their own jobs. It's about understanding the challenge that confronts you, and then using the right tool to address that challenge. For example, Kim and Phil had a challenge. Produce top-quality grapes in the harshest possible region. Doug Stanley with tech startup NEO had a solution. By covering the vineyard with data spewing sensors and then analyzing that data in real time at the vineyard and combining it with years and years of farming experience, the data became information and the information became knowledge. Kim and Phil turned the knowledge into insight, a key in their ability to produce world class wines. By combining the wisdom of the world's oldest industry with the capabilities of one of its newest, we're watching the reinvention of agriculture. In fact, it has a name. It's called Smart Ag.
2: Around 2005, I got to meet Tim O'Reilly, and, and he was just getting ready to write his, uh, his piece, Web 2.0. He saw what we had done. He says, this is the most amazing uh, representation of collective intelligence that I've ever seen says you have built a system of intelligence and of course I went behind the scenes and said yeah but you know the dirty little secret here is this is not a platform this is a lot of hard work a lot of scripts a lot of duct tape a lot of bailing wire Um, so at at that point you know Tim had been you know Tim is perhaps the the all-time evangelist for both open source and the internet but he really put a call to action around that he says For the web to be the platform that it can be and deliver, again, systems of intelligence, somebody has to deliver interoperability.
0: That interoperability, that is the ability for everything to talk to everything else, to share data seamlessly and effortlessly, is critical to the success of modern data networks and IT
1: infrastructures. So so again, Steve, it's it's a great point to kind of raise here. I mean, for, for you and I kind of, you know, older, fuddled, ex-telecomsy type of people. We, we've, we've kind of grappled with this whole question of interoperability almost all of our professional careers. But The toolkits that we had at our disposal 2, 5, 10, 20, 30, 50 years ago when discussing or kind of defining challenges of interoperability, they're, they're different today and tomorrow. The opportunity to translate, uh, find commonality across platforms, etc., is going to change the game. So we've created a product that we call
2: Pubkeeper, and Pubkeeper is not a translator. Pubkeeper is a broker. So if so, if one uh, component of your system speaks a language like MQTT, and your other speaks Bluetooth, Pubkeeper does the work to broker that relationship. So it's it's like walking into a bar. You know, the smartest guy in the bar is the bartender bartender figures out how to communicate with every member that walks in the bar. He, he understands the universal aspects of language. He's not a translator. He doesn't speak these languages, but he figures out how to communicate. So that name, pubkeeper, frankly, came from the analogy of, of, of a bartender in a bar, the pubkeeper. And so our pubkeeper broker has taken on really the second massive challenge in this to, to achieve systems of intelligence in this era of hyperconnectivity. It's how to get these things that don't speak the same language to communicate with the system efficiently.
0: It took a tremendous amount of innovative effort, but they did it. But these systems of intelligence, as Doug calls them, have applications that go far beyond the vineyard.
2: You know, when we talk about you know deploying NEO on your terms, uh, I don't think we should limit that to new things we're gonna put in, like a consumer product device. Frankly, anything with a microcontroller or a microprocessor, NEO can run resident, okay? So, so think about things that inherently are inefficient. You know, the world's most hated companies are probably cable companies. Why? Because there's nothing predictive, there's nothing proactive about them. These are high computation technology companies. A user has to find out on their own that their network is down, has to sit in queue and call and verify why is my network down and what are you going to do about it. And then if you, and once you call them, they now have the ability to, to reset your box and some things like that. Now that just seems stupid. That absolutely seems stupid to me. So with simply putting, you know, uh, a couple dozen kilobytes of code within a router, and frank, frankly, within your content uh, box, cable box, a telco could actually have a real time intelligence of the content being consumed as well as the network performance. That is a system of intelligence in the home that could be unmatched. So we start to think about, you know, throughout as we get into these this world of hyperconvergence around systems intelligence and where a little bit of logic needs to reside, programmable logic needs to reside to say, hey, we're going to take this from a completely reactive business model to a more proactive, to eventually to a predictive, and then to an automated relationship. There's no reason that a cable company would have to have humans call. (laughs) (laughs) Neo could do that, right? Neo detects an outage in a home that the user should wake up to a text message, to an email, and to a voicemail saying, look at, we understand your network's down. We're working our hardest to get it up. We currently predict that it will be back online by fill in the blank. Machines can do that today.
0: Now, if you've been listening, you may be thinking about a possible downside here, the issue of security and confidentiality. You know, we live in a data-driven world, and to be part of it, to enjoy the advantages that data-dependent applications provide, we have to be willing to share some of our own data. Notice I said some. It makes sense that the user the paying customer, you should have the ability to set preferences about how personal information is shared.
2: But imagine if a user, you could actually configure those preferences. You're okay if your child is online playing with another child in China. You're not okay releasing what time they're playing or your home address or the name. All of that could be automated through Neo, right? We, we have like a, like a blur feature and you just literally hit a button. And such a preference. So it's that power of decoupling data
1: storage from the application of logic. We live in a time of wonder: AI, machine learning, robotics, IoT-related technologies. They, they promise so much. Um, whether it's a case of reducing disease, alleviating poverty, living new experiences.
0: It's true, isn't it? We really do live in an age of wonder. Technology advancement is a human imperative. It's a drive to harness the collective intelligence of our species to bring about forward motion, whether it's better health care, richer and more effective education, government transparency, or, as we saw at Deep Sky Vineyard, Kim and Phil Asmonson's desire to produce a better crop while protecting one of the planet's scarcest natural resources. When innovative technology collides with a compelling business vision, we see that Arthur C. Clarke was right – Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. This data-driven ecosystem that we've discussed in this three-part series, an ecosystem that includes Internet of Things, analytics, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and a handful of others, is perhaps the most important agent of change that we've seen in human society since the dawn of industrialism. But don't lose sight of the fact that we're talking about a mutually dependent family of technological innovations that, taken together, demonstrate clearly that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Each technology in the ecosystem is special in its own right, but together, that's where the magic happens. Equally important is the ecosystem of human creativity that catalyzes the power of these interdependent technologies. Without the likes of Kim and Phil Asmundson, who reinvented viticulture, or Doug Stanley and his team at NEO, who gave life to the ecosystem in an elegant, transformative way, We'd have an interesting collection of technological oddities and nothing more. As Paul McDonough Smith said, we really do live in an age of wonder. Hey, thanks for dropping by. I'm Steve Shepard, the host of the Natural Curiosity Project, where we're committed to the idea that curiosity leads to discovery, discovery leads to knowledge, knowledge leads to insight, and insight leads to understanding. In every episode, we explore some topic that piqued our curiosity enough to make us want to share it with you. I hope you enjoy the journey. And if you did, I'd appreciate it if you'd leave a comment over at iTunes or SoundCloud, wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you very much. We'll see you in the next episode.